0: Praise the Lord. God is so good to us, even when we don't deserve it. I'm not sure if it's a good sign if I need water before I start preaching. Tonight's message um, is titled, At the Very Last Moment at the very last moment." It's a very popular, well, it, it's, it's something that's very common in, in popular culture in, in terms of the books, the movies that we see, that at one point in the story uh, it gets to uh, a climax where everything seems to be going wrong. Everything seems to be uh, unraveling and it seems like there's going to be a complete and utter disaster but at the very last moment, something happens. Something changes, and there's there's a victory where there should have been defeat. There's there's something that changes that completely changes the outcome of this story, this this movie. And it, it's something where where a lot of people get very cynical at those parts of the movies um, because, it's like, oh yeah, like that would ever happen. And it's it's very easy to become cynical and say you know that's yeah sure it, it's a movie you know these things just don't happen in real life but god is is the one who invented at the very last moment he is the one who actually brought that into being as as early as abraham maybe even before abraham we we find that there is an at the very last moment god told abraham to go and sacrifice his son his only son God had given him promises that there would be a great and a mighty nation to come from his lineage, and he had one son. And then God told him to go and to sacrifice that son to him. Now, God had never asked that to happen ever before. He'd never asked any human sacrifice. But this one time God asked Abraham to to go and sacrifice his only son, and Abraham went in obedience. He went up to the top. Um, of Mount Moriah, I think it is. And he went, and as he raised the dagger, about to kill his son at the very last moment, God spoke to him. An angel spoke to him, and God provided a different sacrifice other than his son at the very last moment. And all through the Bible, we find these at the very last moments where something is happening that, that everything seemed lost, but at the very last moment, God came in. God delivered. God did that. God delivered His people Israel. And we find that all through the Bible, there, uh, th- there is this at the very last moment. And I will um, I'll look at uh, a couple of, of people in particular. Uh, one is David, and the other is Paul um, in the New Testament. David David is a man that was anointed of God. David is a man that was anointed to be the next king of Israel. The only problem is there was already a king over Israel. And this man wasn't uh, the son of the king, so he wasn't expected to take over the kingdom. And uh, Saul had his own son. Um, He had Jonathan and He was was a man who was well-respected. He was a man who was in well-favored with the people. And he did the right things. He had the right heart, had the right spirit. And he would have been the natural successor to Saul's throne. But God anointed David to be king over Israel. And Saul um, was uh, starting to work this out. And uh, Saul became David's enemy uh, continually. He, tried, he sought every possible circumstance uh, to, to put uh, David down, to, to uh, find cause that he might destroy him or might, uh, might cause him to, to lose favor with the people of Israel. But the Word of God tells us that David behaved himself wisely and, and even more wisely as, as Saul kept continually coming against him. God was with David in every circumstance. And uh, and it got to the stage very early on where where the women um, uh, sang a song about David and Saul, saying that Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And uh, Saul wasn't too happy about that, as you might expect, being the king. And he said uh, he said uh, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul I David from that day and forward. And in 1 Samuel 18 and 10 it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times. So um, he had a job to do in, in the king's presence to play the harp, and the evil spirit would go away from Saul. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it, and David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Why did Saul know? How did Saul know that, that David was with him? Well, Saul was a man of war. Saul wasn't a novice in in war and in a novice in using a javelin and a spear. In fact, every time Um, you read about Saul, he always has a spear or a javelin with him. It was his choice of weapon. It was something that he had practiced with. It was something that he had killed many people, thousands upon thousands of people with that spear, with that javelin, and he knew how to use it. He knew the best time to strike. He knew when to use it. He was a man of war. And so Saul was there, and, and, uh, and David was playing, and uh, I don't know about you, but if you're full in playing an instrument, it's not that easy to, to actually dodge or, or to, to realize that something else is happening. But what, what happened, Saul, um, Saul very quickly picked up his javelin, picked up his spear, and went to thrust David with it, uh, to throw it at him, to cause him to, uh, to be stuck to the wall. Now, Saul was a man uh, that used this time and time again. It would have only taken him a second or two to actually get that javelin. He already had it in his hand and to throw it at David and for that to hit the wall. It would have only taken a second or two for that to happen. But somehow, at the very last moment, God caused David to escape, whether he um, flinched or, or dodged or, or ducked or... Well, who knows how God caused it, but at the very last moment, David somehow escaped out of the presence of Saul with his life. And then we find again um, later on in First Saul 19.9, And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, and he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael, Michael led David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. Saul was coming in. He was, he was making sure that David could not escape, that David was going to be killed, even though he'd escaped out of Saul's presence that night. He went home, and the, there were people who watched to make sure he didn't escape. But somehow, at the very last moment, David managed to escape through a window and go and run for his life. And that became the pattern of David's life for many years. He was running, he was hiding, he went to forests, he went to caves, he went into strongholds, he went into places as far away as he could from Saul to try to avoid him. Now Saul was a man who was king over Israel. He had the entire armies of Israel at his disposal. He had everybody, um, all the men of war, everybody, to uh, all the resources in, in the entire kingdom to hunt down David to make sure that he didn't survive. But yet somehow God managed to make sure that David was safe. And in 1 Samuel 23 and 25, it says, Saul also and his men went to seek him. And they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. So, and David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. It was all over for David. Saul was going around the mountain that way, and David was going as quickly as he could around the mountain the other way. But Saul had taken everything into account. He had made an ambush. He had uh, made sure that there were people everywhere around that mountain and made sure that there was no way of escape for David. There was no way that he could escape. But then it continues on the very next verse. It says, But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place Selah, There you go. There's a tongue twister for you. At the very last moment, God delivered David out of the hands of Saul. The very last moment, there was nowhere for David to run, nowhere for him to hide. Everything had come against him. There, there, everything was completely lost for him. He was about to lose his life. He was about to lose everything. But somehow, at the very last moment, God caused the whole situation, entire situation to change and he delivered David completely out of the hands of Saul. When everything appeared to be completely lost, God made an incredible way of deliverance. And then a bit later on, there David came and uh, and tried to, to get provisions for his army, for his people um, he had been in one of his strongholds, and there had been shepherds from this Nabal there that had been in, in the same area, and they were tending their sheep. And, and uh, David and his men kept those, those shepherds, kept those people, and made sure that they were safe, made sure that no one uh, did anything wrong against them, against the, the, the ladies that were there, and made sure that, that they were fine. And so David was coming to collect um, he, he needed food. He needed provisions. And he came to Nabal and he, he uh, basically said, you know, um, please give me some provisions for the way to go. But Nabal, um, his name means folly and that's what he was. He uh, basically completely rejected the messengers that came from from David and they went back and told David that, uh, that, uh, he, had, uh, that he had basically uh, abused David and and said, Who is David? Who who is he that I should do these things for him? And so David was coming down with an army to kill this man and everybody that pertained to him, everybody that was in his household, everybody that was working for him. David was going to come down and destroy everybody. But the the tidings of that came, or the the tidings that, that Nabal had been like, he had been to David, came into the ears of Nabal's wife, Abigail. And Abigail realized what was going to happen from then on. And so she made sure that she brought provisions. She, she did everything that she could to make the situation right. And she went to David, and, and David asked, you know, who are you, where are you coming from with all of this? And she, she told the story. She, she said, you know, please don't, don't lay this against my husband because uh, he, he's such a fool, basically. As his name is, so is he. He's folly. And uh, and then it says in First Samuel 25 and 32, And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood, and from avenging myself with mine own hand. See, God kept David from sinning and killing righteous people with the band. God... Uh, not God, but David was going to kill everybody that pertained to Nabal. When it was Nabal that had the problem, it was Nabal that was the one that that uh, deserved to die, but not everybody was, had the same opinion. The servants told Abigail they were the ones that were concerned about the way that Nabal had been, and God kept David from doing something wrong at that time. And Abigail would have been killed as well. Everybody that... Was, had anything to do with Nabal would have been destroyed at that time but God kept David and, and through using Abigail as a way of from, sorry, from destroying that from sinning against uh, the Lord from, from killing these righteous people that were in that place and sometimes God delivers us from evil from doing sin sometimes God causes us to, to come to a place where we're going to do something wrong, but then something happens. So we realize our ways, and God keeps us from doing those evil things. David. Well, eventually, every, uh, eventually Saul, Saul kept coming against David. Um, and twice, um, twice he was in a position where David could have killed him. Um, once in a cave, and the other where everybody was asleep, um, even all of the guards who were meant to keep watch overnight. And twice, David could have killed Saul, but he decided not to. And then after the second time, and, and Saul said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm not going to pursue after you anymore. Then David um, said, okay, this time Saul's going to come against me, and I'm going to have nowhere to hide. Um, my time is running out. I'm going to run away. I'm going to go into the land of the Philistines. And the Bible says uh, when David did that and Saul heard about it, that he didn't seek after him anymore. So David had gone into the Philistines, into the land of the enemy for um, protection to actually escape out of the hands of Saul because Saul just kept coming and coming and coming against him relentlessly. He just kept coming. After He repented after each time that that he said, oh, I'm I'm sorry, you know, uh, that he realized that David meant no harm against him. It wasn't long after that Saul just kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. So David fled and he went into the the land of the Philistines and he uh, found favor in the eyes of, of one of the kings of the Philistines. And then there came a time of war against Israel and all of the Philistines gathered together. And this, this, uh, one of the, this king of the Philistines brought David and his army with him. He trusted David completely in everything that he did. It says in 1 Samuel 29 and 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. It was war between the Israelites and the Philistines. And the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands, But David and his men passed on in the re-reward with Achish. They were at the very back of this king, Achish, of uh, Gath, I think it was. 1 Samuel 29 and 3, Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews hear? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, Is not this David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years, and I found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day? And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place which thou hast appointed him, and let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. For wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? And they said, Is not this David, whom they sang one to another in dances, saying, Saul slew his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And uh, they, they knew that this song was against them, the Philistines. They're saying that David had killed ten thousands of the Philistines. And this was the man that was so feared of the Philistines that was now supposedly fighting on their side. And so David really escaped a bullet at that time. They, they told him to go back and, and David made uh, a show of, of being really offended at not being able to to go against uh, the, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, and, uh, and they sent him off and, and, and to go back to uh, the place where he was. See, David was faced with having to having to go to war with his own nation, Israel. It was something that he could not have ever wanted to do in his lifetime. This was the battle that cost Saul and Jonathan their lives. I want you to think about that just a moment. This was the battle that cost Saul and Jonathan their lives. Do you think that David would have ever forgiven himself if he had helped to kill Saul and Jonathan? He killed the person who came and told him that he had finished off Saul after Saul had impaled himself with his own spear. David would have held himself accountable for Saul's and for Jonathan's death. Jonathan, this this, uh, man that was like a brother to, to David. But at the very last minute, the very last moment, God kept him from that situation and from that guilt. All through David's life, and it wasn't long after that that God uh, raised up David to become king of Israel. And God did everything that he had promised to David in the first place. God anointed him to be king over the kingdom of Israel, and that is exactly what happened. But he had to go through an incredibly difficult time. Everything seemed to be going against him. There were times when he, he had lost hope. There was no way of escape. But somehow, at the very last minute, God always delivered him from his situation. God always made sure that there was a way of escape. God always kept him through those difficult times and made sure that there was a a ray of light, that there was something that was beyond what seemed to be around him at that time. But God caused complete deliverance to him time and time and time again until God did exactly what he had promised in the first place, there was a time in the New Testament where Herod the king, it says, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, or really to kill them. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter. Also. And so Peter was there in prison. He knew that da- James had been killed. He knew that he was next in line. He knew that his fate was exactly the same as James's fate. He knew that his life was a goner. And he was there in the prison, and there was nothing for him to do. But the church was praying for him, the church was there lifting him up and causing him and keeping him before God in prayer. And it says that they were praying without ceasing. They were just continually praying for for Peter and continually praying. The church themselves didn't believe that God was going to deliver him, but they they kept praying. They kept praying. They kept praying. And at the very last minute, God sent an angel that very night, just before he was going to be brought before Herod and killed, at the very last moment, he brought an angel and Peter just walked out of that prison without, without having to open any doors. The doors opened of their own accord and Peter just walked straight out of that impossible situation. He was in chains, but the chains fell off. There were locked doors before him. The, the locked doors opened of their own accord. There were guards that were there to keep the prison. The guards weren't there for whatever reason, whether they were asleep. But Peter just walked straight out of that impossible situation. Maybe you've been in a situation, maybe you are in a situation where everything seems impossible, where there's no way out, but God can just come in, step in and say, that's enough. I'm reaching down, you're just going straight out. You're walking straight out of it. There's, There's no way that... You can get out of it yourself. Everything's against you. Everything's locked up tight. It is not possible for you to escape. But then God just comes into the situation and says, here you go. Out you come. And that is the power of God. At the very last moment, at the very last moment, God will deliver. God will keep you. And God will bring you out of where you have been for so long. Paul and Silas... Went to a city named Lystra. In Acts 14:19, it says, "And there came to the certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe." And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to, to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Paul was, uh, was a living testimony of tribulation um, and, and, and enduring tribulation and, and uh, going through hardships time and time again. But when we look, when we think about this stoning that, that Paul had, talk about it at the very last moment. See, Paul was stoned. They supposed he was dead. And to anyone, and for anyone else, he would have been dead. See, this was, this was even beyond the very last moment for Paul. To all accounts and to all beliefs, he was a dead man. You see, the Jews, when they stoned a person, they didn't leave anything to chance. And they didn't pick up little rocks to, to throw them against people. And, ow, ow, ow. No, this was, this, these, were, these were large rocks. They were the biggest rocks that they could find and they could throw. They were the ones that they threw against their body. They broke their bones. They, they, uh, they caused all sorts of internal hemorrhaging. They caused all damage such that if a person didn't die straight away, they would have died very quickly. And it was the, the common practice that after they had stoned them, that they took a large stone and they crushed a person's skull with it. So when the Jews supposed that he'd been dead, they had very good reason to think that, yes, he was dead. But the brethren were, were around him. They were looking at it and they were thinking, well, what's going to happen now? Paul's dead. Um, the missionary journey there. They're gone. Everything seemed to have been completely um, obliterated at that time. All of the hope of any work of God, all of the hope that God would continue to work through Paul was completely gone. But then at the very last moment, even beyond the very last moment, God brought life back into Paul, re- repaired any damage and caused him to stand before them whole and caused him to stand before them uh, even without a mark on him. I, I don't know whether God left a mark or a scar, um, as a way of showing others, um, as, as a, a proof that of what he had done, but Paul stood before them just like he had before he was stoned. Have you ever had a promise from God or had a great need for deliverance and there was a time frame associated with it? Have you ever been left waiting beyond that time frame? God, I had to have help by this date, but it didn't come, and now everything is lost. Lord, you promised me that this would happen by this date, but it hasn't happened. Everything is lost. There's no way out. This is an impossible situation. Sometimes the Lord keeps us waiting even beyond when we can be helped by natural thinking. When we look, when we think about Lazarus, um, Lazarus was sick, and Jesus was in a different place, and word came to him that Lazarus was sick. And, uh, and the Bible says that um, and when he heard that Lazarus was sick, um, because he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in the same place for three days, <laughs> um, which is not the sort of response that you would expect. But God wanted to show his power in this situation, that even beyond death, even beyond the last moment, that he can come into a situation. And Martha um, came to Mary and, and sorry, came to, to Jesus weeping and said you know if you had been here if only you'd been here in this situation if only you had come then this wouldn't have happened he would still be here Lazarus would still be alive I know I have faith that um, you would have healed him if you had been here but Jesus wanted to show them something greater yeah Jesus could have could have healed him when he was there they had enough faith to believe that he would heal but they didn't have enough faith to believe that he would raise from the dead. They didn't think that he had that much power, they, but Jesus wanted to show them that even beyond when the last possible situation, he'd been in the, de- in the grave for three days, I think, by the time he got there. He was dead. He was buried. He was gone. There was no life in him. There was nothing left to pick up. There were no pieces left to pick up of his life. But then Jesus came into the situation. Jesus came and he, he, he did something incredible, wonderful and powerful that nobody had ever believed or heard before. And, the, and everybody who heard it was, was amazed and there were many people who were starting to follow Jesus and realizing that Jesus was the Messiah at that time because God did something incredible. God did something beyond the time of help. But God will always do what he has promised to do, even if he holds off a long time from doing it. In Luke 18, in verse 1, it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end. This is Jesus. they men always ought to pray, ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in the city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. You see, when God does answer your cry, when he does deliver you, and when he does do what he has promised, he will cause it to come about really, really quickly. So quickly that you'll be amazed at the turnaround. It will literally be one day you're in the pits of despair with no hope, no way of escape. Everything is coming down upon you and crushing you, and and there's no life left. And the next day, everything will be sunshine again. God will bring about a complete change in the situation. But you need to keep praying about it, to keep bringing it to the Lord again and again and again. That is when God moves. That is when God brings deliverance. That is when God comes in to the situation and delivers you from something that is impossible. Paul and Silas found themselves in jail. Um, and it was because they had actually healed someone that they were in jail, and uh, the 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 people who were the owners, I guess, of the person that were, was uh, delivered of, of, a, of a demon uh, didn't like that, and so they found occasion to uh, bring them into jail. Um, they brought an accusation against them, and they were put into a jail. And in Acts 16.25 it says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed, and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prisoner, waking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. This is not something that Paul could have known that he was about to do. But through the power of God and God's deliverance, he spoke those words by the power of God. Then he, the jailer, called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. This is a man who did not know God. This is a man who didn't know who Jesus was. This was a man who probably didn't even know who the God of Israel was in this city, this, this Greek city. But at the very last moment, God provided a way of escape and a salvation for that jailer who was about to kill himself, who had no doubt mistreated prisoners before. He was, uh, Don't think that his response to the word of God meant that he was a good and a lenient person. You see, a special type of breed was put in charge over prisons. A special type of person was put in charge over these places where the, the lowest of the low were put. And these were men that could take care of themselves. These were men who were able to, to bring a hard fist down on the prisoners that were under their charge. But God kept him from death at the very last moment, even though he deserved to die even though he had most probably done incredibly horrible things to his prisoners. But God kept him from death at that very last moment and brought him salvation. A man who had never heard the word of God before. And what about Paul in the temple of Jerusalem? Paul, um, there was a, an outcry, an uh, uh, a commotion. There was... Uh, a riot in Jerusalem, because people thought that Paul had brought a uh, a Greek into the temple, someone who was not allowed to go into the temple. And so there were people who stirred up the people, and they all ran together. And uh, and laid hands on Paul, saying, "Crying out, men of Israel, help!" This is Acts twenty one twenty eight. This is the man that teaches all every, men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came to the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them, And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left, beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle, into the stronghold. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of of the people followed after crying away with him. Paul was a man as good as dead. There were mobs of people around him. They were beating him. They were about to kill him. And there was nothing that anybody could have done. There was no way that any uh, way of salvation could have come to Paul. But this Roman, but this this man who came with soldiers and, and at the very last moment brought Paul out. And says because of the violence that he was born of the soldiers, he was actually lifted up and carried above the people um, uh, into the castle. And that, that, meant that, because that, that meant that there was no way of escape for him. There was no way that he could have escaped on his own. But God allowed this, these centurions, to come, this centurion, these soldiers to come and deliver him at the very last moment. When it appeared that Paul had no hope of salvation, God caused salvation to come from a completely unexpected source. You see, the Jews hated the Romans. The Romans were the ones that had conquered them. The Romans were the ones that uh, put soldiers into the streets and, and, and caused them to be under the rule of the Romans. They hated the Romans. But God caused the Romans to come and deliver Paul. You see, when God delivers you, don't think that it will always be according to the way that you want it to be. God may use the least expected source to deliver you completely from the situation that you're in. And then Paul was brought out again uh, to to uh, discuss everything with. Uh, the the people Uh, and it says in acts 23 10 and when there arose a great dissension the chief captain fearing lest paul should have been pulled in pieces of them commanded the soldiers to go down and take him from by force from among them and to bring him into the castle so once again there was there and there were there was another commotion um after paul had, had answered spoken for himself and there were two groups of people fighting against each other, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then, once again, Paul needed deliverance of God. And with violence, they, the soldiers needed to use violence to bring Paul out this time. Twice, Paul escaped from the Jews at that time. But not only that, then there were men that, that uh, put a vow upon themselves. And I think it says that there were above 40. Yes, more than 40 men who actually put a vow on themselves that they would neither eat nor drink um, until they had killed Paul. And so um, the, the, the Pharisees came and said, oh, you know, we want to ask something more of Paul. And then uh, the, the soldiers, uh, sorry, then the, these men that had this vow would have just gone down and killed Paul. But Paul's nephew heard of it. And at the very last moment, that Paul's nephew came in and talked to, to the captain or talked to Paul first and then to the chief captain, and then at the very last moment, he was delivered from that situation. He was taken by night to, uh, to a different place, and God once again delivered him from a situation that he could not possibly have been delivered from on his own. The, the Jews would have had their desire. Paul would have been killed under any normal circumstances, but because of the power of God, God delivered him again. And then there was a shipwreck, which which Paul had the 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 fortune or misfortune of being in, and and gone, and and sorry, and there was there was a huge wind, and the 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 everybody in the ship had despaired of their lives. There was no way that they could escape from this this huge wind, this, these waves, this storm, this uh, cyclone that was upon them, hurricane cyclone that was. Upon them, and they despaired for their lives. They were in a ship in a cyclone, um, and this is not the ships of today, but this is uh, one of the ships back in in those days, which would most likely be sunk in that sort of a, of a ship. They many times they cast out um, things out of the ship, food, even food towards the end, uh, to make sure that make the ship lighter so that they didn't sink, and. There was, uh, it says, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. There was no hope. There was no reason to hope. There was no reason to believe that anyone would come out of that ship alive because there was, there was no land. They were on the sea, and then there was this wind, these waves, and this storm that just kept beating against them, beating against them, There was nothing to even make them even have a glimmer of hope that they would be saved. And it says, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from creed and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. They must be brought before Caesar. And, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. This was an impossibility. This was something that could not happen in any normal circumstances. And when you read what actually happens, happens to the ship, it actually um, came into the place. They, they saw land afar off, and they, they let the ship go and into the winds. And it came to a place where two seas met, where there was a huge, um, uh, I don't know, a huge breaking of waves and, and, and two currents coming against each other. And one part of the ship stuck hard and the other one just broke up. There was no reason to believe that anyone would be saved. But God made a way that every single person on that ship was saved. They all came to shore safely. The ones that could swim, swam. The ones that couldn't went on, on broken bits of the ship. God made sure that everyone, as he had promised, went out of that ship, alive. And not only that, but before, they, they, got to, uh, before they, they left the ship, the soldiers wanted to kill all of the prisoners, which meant that uh, Paul would have been killed. All of the prisoners that were there would have been killed. And that was against what God had promised. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they made their own way to the shore. Once again, at the very last moment, God made a way of escape and deliverance for Paul. You see, once time and time again, we read in the Bible that God delivers, God keeps, God promises, and then God keeps to his promise. God delivers from every situation that holds you bound, that, that keeps you down, that you can't see a way out of. God will provide a way of deliverance. There's also one other very last moment that I want to talk about. God provides deliverance at the very last moment. But then there is an expectation of people as well for a very last moment. See, there were thieves that were crucified on the cross with Jesus. And they reviled him um, there was one thief on the right, one on the left, and they they basically took it out on Jesus, uh, along with everyone, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all that walked by, um, spat everything in his face. They, they, they mocked him, they, they talked against him, and the thieves as well did this for a portion of time. But then one of the thieves came to his senses, and one of the thieves realized that His fate was the same as Jesus's. He realized that, hang on, this man, he hasn't done anything worthy of death. This man, he hasn't done anything that would mean that he should die on this cross. Why am I doing this? And so he turned around and he rebuked the other thief and saying, dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, he realized that he had had done what... Uh, what he was being crucified for, he deserved to die. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Is there on anything that would cause him to be crucified. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This was an incredible last-minute act of salvation performed by Jesus while he hung on that cross. But some people seem to think that they can receive salvation like that as well, that they can do whatever they like, sin however they want, then on their deathbed, in their dying breath, receive salvation from God. I had a friend um, at school, and he uh, he was started getting interested in God, but... Um, never really uh, really uh, made uh, arrangements to come to church or anything like that. And he asked me a question one day, and I, I didn't realize what he was saying at the time. But he asked me, he said, uh, he said, how, um, how long will it take me to be saved? You know, if I came in and if I'm, I'm bruised and bleeding and, and, uh, and dying, he said, you know, how long can it be um, before I get saved. And I said, well, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And and then, uh, and then I didn't realize what he was actually meaning by that statement until a little bit later. He was, he was saying, you know, I want to live the life that I want to live. I want to do all these things out there. I want to do everything, but, you know, I, I, I think, you know, there might be a God out there. There, there's something that, that I'm interested in. There's something that I realize it might happen. But I want to do what I want to do. I want to live life my way. I want to live life according to you know everything that everybody's doing out there. I want to do everything. And then at the very last moment, just about when I'm about to die, I want to come to God. I want to come and, and give my life to God. And I want to make sure that if there's a heaven and maybe believe that there was a heaven, that I want to get to heaven at the very last moment. But God doesn't work like that. He isn't interested in saving people just before they die. He's interested in people living for him and helping others to salvation. You see, this act of Jesus was a once-only gift of salvation to a man who deserved to die but repented while he hung dying on a cross. This was a man who hung between two testaments, Jesus was in the middle of completely fulfilling the Old Testament and bringing in the New Testament. But Jesus has now already given everyone the new plan of salvation, not under the law of Moses, but under his grace, his mercy, and his power. There is now no excuse for not following the biblical salvation message as set out in the book of Acts. So no one can leave it to the very last minute and expect to be saved. And the same goes for us in the church. We can't expect to do our own thing, to rebel against God, to sin, and then expect God to save us at the very last minute. Hebrews 10 and 23, if I could get you to turn there, please. Hebrews 10. Starting in verse twenty-three, the Bible tells us, "Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised." And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Nor forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, in so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy unto two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden under foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace." For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. And it talks about having compassion of him in his bonds, knowing that in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back to perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. It's up to us to keep sure our salvation. It's up to us to make sure that we are on the pathway to heaven, that we are doing everything that we can to stay in the church. It's not time to go and sin. It's not time to do whatever we want to do. We can't do that and expect to make it to heaven. We can't do that and expect God to deliver us at the very last moment. We can't think that we're okay to sin, that we're okay to rebel against God, that we're okay to do these things. God loves us very much and wants us to be saved, but he won't override your will. If you want to live in sin, go ahead. Go ahead. But don't expect God to swoop down at the very last moment and make sure that you go to heaven. God is interested in you living for him not in living for yourself. And those that make choices to do their own thing, God will warn them. God is warning tonight, but won't? he won't swoop in and save the day, almost forcing you to be saved. If you can't enjoy living for him now, do you think you'll enjoy heaven? If you can't take the time to make sure your salvation, if you can't take the time and, and love God enough to get rid of these things out of your life, do you think that you would even enjoy heaven, being with God? If I could get someone to the piano, please. Maybe you've been a bit casual in your walk with God. Maybe you even have unrepented sin in your life. Something that you're doing that you're excusing away or something that you think you can get away with that no one else knows about maybe you've been thinking that you'll get away with what you're doing because god loves you because he he'll make sure that you don't go to hell because he loves you yes god is a love god is love god is a god of love he does love you but you have to make the choice to follow him now you see jesus is coming back soon he's been giving warnings In tongues and interpretations, time and again and again and again, saying that he's coming back soon, he's coming back soon. Now is the time to make your life right. We don't have the promise of tomorrow. In James 4 and 13, it says, "'Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away.'" We don't have promise of tomorrow. We don't have promise of anything in our lives but the breath that we have in our nostrils right now. And maybe you have been given a promise from God for something, but the time is drawing near and there seems to be nothing happening. Maybe you're already past the last possible time that God could have swooped in and saved you. God can do the impossible. Nothing is too hard for God. The Bible says that there is nothing that is impossible for God. God raised people from the dead. That's beyond the help of man. That's beyond something that man could even think to help with, to be able to do. And God can raise your promise from the dead as well. It's not impossible for God. We just need to keep going to Him. Keep our faith in Jesus Christ even beyond the last chance for deliverance. You had a promise from God that had a time frame, a time limit, and that time has passed. That's not the time to give up hope. That's not the time to say, well, I must have heard it wrong. That's not the time to lose faith in God because God will do what he has promised. God will do according to his word. We just need to keep our faith in him. Even beyond the last chance for deliverance. Now is not the time to lose faith in Jesus or His ways. Now is the time to push forward, to put our full faith in Him and to make our lives right. God will never fail you. Ever, ever, ever fail you. He's never failed me. And I know that there are many, that all of the people in this place has that testimony that He has never failed us. Sometimes it seems like when we're going through our situations and our circumstances, that he has failed us. But at the end of the road, when we come through the situation and circumstance, when God puts his mark on it, when he puts his word into the situation, and it all disappears, and all of a sudden there's sunshine again where there was nothing but despair, when we realize that God has brought us out once again, that is something that lifts our faith something when we realize after the fact that yes god was always with me god always was keeping me god always had his hand on me god always knew my situation and always knew the time that he was going to bring me out even though i was sinking even though i was drowning so whatever the reason whether it's to make your life right or to put your faith in god again even in the darkest of situations, even when it seems that there's no hope, no way out, I welcome you to come to the altar. I welcome you to pour out your heart before God. He will hear your prayer. He will hear your cry to Him. And He will save you from your sins and your trials that have no hope, that have no answer. God will become your deliverance. God will become your salvation. But we need to come to Him. We can't play around with God. We can't mess around with God. God wants us to follow Him now. And we need to put our faith and our trust in Him. At the very last moment, He will deliver. At the very last moment, He will cause us to come back into a place with Him again. But we need to put our faith and our trust in Him. So... I invite you to come, come to the altar, come, bring everything before God, pour it out before him again, bring your faith and trust in him again, and if there's anything in your life that you need to make right, now is the time, now is the time, don't hold back, don't hold off, don't say I'll do it tomorrow, don't say I'll think about it, now is the time of salvation, now is the time to come to Jesus and put your faith and your trust completely in him once again.